0: I will thank you for attending this course on masculinity as Christ sees it. And, uh, you may have watched the introduction a month ago, or you may have watched it five minutes ago, but just as a very quick recap, we see that masculinity is defined of that portion of God's nature that is reflected in the male of creation and femininity would be that part of his nature, which is reflected in the female part of creation. Now we know that God has said, we will perceive him through his male attributes. So God says he's father, he says he's son. Um, when we address him, we address him with male pronouns. And that does not mean that male is more valuable than female. It means that this is the identity that he has put on us. And so when we understand who we are as men, we understand how to properly reflect that portion of his nature that we as men aren't supposed to reflect. And that's what this whole course is about is, what does it mean to be a man What does it mean to reflect God's nature the way he has intended for me to reflect his nature? Not the way culture says, not the way history says. And so we often tend to get ourselves caught up in a 1950s version of a man or a 1980s version of a man or God forbid a 2020 version of a man. None of those things are completely aligned with God's truth. We we seek to know God's word and God's word only. So we see that we were created in God's image. So we naturally know what's right all of us were created to be perfect in his image with a natural inclination to understand right from wrong, the way things are from the way that things are not. Sin has twisted and changed that. And we have the great liar, Satan, and we're actually going to have a chapter on masculinity specifically talking about Satan, because if we want to understand the issues that we have trying to actually be men and properly reflect God's image, we have to understand that there's a liar constantly pushing us to push us off track. And he doesn't care how he does it. We can be overly effeminized over here cowardly or we can be fake alpha males over here and macho and chauvinistic and all those things and none of those things are a proper reflection of what god's will is and we saw in in our introduction that there are things that we inherently understand as being masculine or feminine we understand that um being vain is very much a sort of feminine sin and there's a certain tolerance we have towards you know, a woman getting ready in the mirror for five minutes doesn't seem weird. A man getting in the mirror for five minutes seems very weird and our inherent nature tells us there's something strange about a man who's very vain about his looks. Whereas for a woman, it, it doesn't make it any better, but it certainly is something that we perceive as being more normal and natural. We see that with lots of things, strong men, men willing to defend and fight to defend their families, to defend culture, men in the military. Versus women, we see we see more of a nurturing, more of a a family reflected focus. So this isn't about femininity. This is just about the obviousness that we see because we're creating God's image of what's right and what's wrong. Last thing we saw is that we're basing this on my book, Rise of the Servant Kings. What the Bible says about being a man. You don't have to have that book to go through it. In fact, a lot of the information we're going to cover will be different than the book. So we're going to go through each chapter. A lot of this will stand on its own. The book has a lot of cop stories and things like that, that help to illustrate the points, things that I've gone through. Um, so I welcome you to grab that. But if, if you don't have those resources, I know there's a lot of pastors watching this throughout the world who, who may not have that. And, and by the way, if you can't afford a book and you really want one, get a hold of me, um, through promisekeepers.org if you want, and we'll send you one. I want to, I want to make sure everyone gets. God's Word in any way they can, and I'm happy to send you a book if you need one. The book starts off with the what for. So if I really want to reflect God's will, if I'm going to give all, if Jesus called me to wake up daily, pick up my murder instrument, and die to self and follow him, what's the point of all that? If Jesus did it all on the cross, then why should I give up all daily? And then we have this sort of illustration of run life like an athlete, dedicated to winning the victory. And then we're told Fight life like a soldier fighting for a cause. Do whatever it takes to win. Well, win what? If, if salvation is a free gift from the Lord, then what are we fighting for? What are we running for? And we'll get to that in a minute. But even more applicably, what does the Bible mean when Paul talks about run life like an athlete? Because we tend to see life a bit like a preseason game in football, um, in American football. Preseason is when players get together it in, in play games, but they don't really count. And nobody really tries the same, and it, nobody really cares because nobody cares about preseason football. A lot of us are living life like preseason football, not understanding that this life has a very big impact on all of eternity. So, what does run the race to win in life look like? Well, we know that Paul was talking about an athlete from the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games had a very specific uh, way of winning and qualifying. So, when an athlete qualified to represent his city or his city state in the games, he came and trained. And in that process of training, it was 10 months long. They trained every day naked. Now, in Turkey and Greece and those areas, winter got pretty cold. So, it was awfully uncomfortable a lot of times. They not only trained naked, but they had a very specific food that they had to eat. They couldn't uh, drink wine, they had to eat very specific types of cheeses and everything. But more importantly than that, they were assigned people to watch every move they made for 10 months. And then for 10 months as they trained, if they were ever seen not giving their all, every second they were disqualified from the race. And we hear the Bible tell us, don't be disqualified. And we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about the race to win at life. So they they had to train with absolute complete dedication for 10 straight months, not, not what we see from athletes today, where they might take a playoff or something. And one time you took a time off from 10 months, you were disqualified. Now, what happened if you win? If you win, you went before the BEMA seat, the judgment seat. And the judge was there. And that judge would give you rewards. The first thing he would give you is a crown. Usually it was a wreath made out of leaves and whatnot. The second thing you would get is he would give you rewards. Rewards that would last for eternity, at least as far as the world was concerned, which was the rest of your life back in your town they'd cut a hole in the in the wall and have a special little hole and the idea was with such an athlete in our town we we can have a hole in the wall and we're still safe because he's here you're you were given a place in the city council your your children were educated for free there was you were forgiven for taxes you and your children there was all these rewards that were heaped on you a great honor for the rest of your life and so this is what we're talking about when we see second Corinthians five 10, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for the things done in the body whether good or worthless here we have the idea of we've run the race of life now we're at the bema seat and we're going to be given crowns and rewards for what we did in this life so therefore we want to stay very dedicated what does the bible say run life like that athlete never taking a break now this is the the object of perfection that we're to attain to none of us will ever get to that point one of the things about the effeminization of our culture and I say that not the negative word of feminization not not the positive the effeminization kind of like macho would be to masculinity with the effeminization of our culture we have seen that we should take it easy enjoy life um, bon vivant live the good life whereas the Bible says no you run that race to win that God has given you a very specific purpose in life for you to go after and how do we do that one of the portions we do that is in our masculinity as men. How do we reflect Christ in his nature? He's given us this very nature. And he said, I want the whole world to perceive me through my male attributes and see me as father, as son. Therefore the, the responsibility on each one of us to reflect on him is very strong. If you're a father, how your children perceive you will have a direct correlation, how they perceive God. That's a, a pretty big deal. And if you're not a father, well, you are a son and Jesus Christ is the son. And so how we reflect God and our masculinity can have huge impacts. And I think we're seeing that in our culture today, as people are very down on masculinity, they talk about toxic masculinity. We see a lot of hatred towards men. And in large part, that's been earned by men, not acting like men. They have acted with misogyny, with hatred with a lack of concern for the the least of these. And we as Christ-like men need to call men back because when men are screwed up, women and children suffer. You want to help women and children, get men to act like godly men and women and children, we bless greatly. So we as leaders for as pastors, the, the more we can do to teach people to be masculine, the way God says to be masculine, the more we will increase the strength of the church, the family and society at large, because this is his design. So one of the things we see is that we have to worship God the way he has told us to worship him, not the way somebody else told us to worship him. And what I mean by that is, you look back to Cain and Abel, and we think, well, that was strange. Cain comes and makes a sacrifice of his vegetables, what he knows, and Abel comes and makes a sacrifice of an animal. And the Lord is pleased with Abel, and he's not pleased with Cain. Why? Because God dictated, this is how you will worship me, you will sacrifice a living animal. Now, we know, because we get to look backward into history, that what God was setting up was the idea that ultimate sacrifice would be made, the sacrifice of a living being, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to cover the sins of the whole world. God was setting up types and shadows for the future, and this is how it would be. But Cain said, no, no, I'm going to worship God my way. And I like vegetables, and so I'm going to sacrifice vegetables. And then when God is not pleased with him, he suffers the scorn of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord. And ultimately, he has a choice. Will I follow that discipline and and get closer to the Lord? Or will I act out of my flesh? And of course, he acts out in his flesh. He murdered his brother. And he suffers the consequences of that for the rest of his life. So there is a very specific way that God says, I will be worshipped in this way. And we may not always understand it, but that's how it is. And so in the perception of that, God says, I will be known as male and you men will have a certain specific responsibility on you to reflect my nature because I will be known by my masculine nature. So how we behave has a great effect on the perception the world has on the heavenly father. And one of the things that he has said that brings out masculinity is meekness. Now, in the effeminization of our culture, that word has been sort of changed from meekness to weakness. And I I used to teach my sons all the time, listen, if you want to be meek, you first have to be strong. Because you don't get to choose to be humble and nonviolent if you're so weak that you're dictated by somebody else. And so, again, this doesn't mean you have to be physically strong. Nothing about masculinity has to do with the size of your arms or how tall you are, how athletic you are. But it does have to do with the strength of your spirit inside. But I told my boys, if you want to be meek, you first have to be bold and strong, and then you can choose to not have to exercise that. So masculinity, one of the things of it is, is strength under control. This is why self-control is such an important fruit of the spirit, such an important guideline on your road to holiness. Where am I in holiness? Well, one of the first things we have is self-control. If you're a man and you struggle with pornography, you struggle with greed, you struggle with gossip then you're not even at the first level of holiness because you have not yet mastered self-control. And so I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to tell you that when we look at sexual perversion, pornography, it affects who we are, how we think, what we say, how we perceive women and God forbid children. And so we need to have our sexual appetites under control. So if you're watching this now, we will hit this many times and you might become uncomfortable if you're struggling with this. And if you are, I will tell you that trauma in in childhood, a lot of times affects how men definitely view sexuality and they rush towards that kind of thing as a uh, safe haven or whatever they are st- stressed out. They go back to that. You must conquer that. If you want to be a pastor, you must be sexually pure. It starts off in your mind, what you think about is who you are. If you need help, then get help. And when I say help, I mean from a godly man who will explain to you the Holy Spirit and the Lord. I don't mean go to a counselor week after week and obsess on yourself. Now, sometimes counselors are positive. I'm not saying they're not, but I'm saying they can be negative if they teach us to dwell on self all the time, because part of the Christian life is giving self away to serve others. So if you're struggling with and again, we talk about sexual perversion because it's the most obvious right now. But greed, being a workaholic, alcoholism. Um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and there's a list there of people, the sexually perverse, adulterers, practicing homosexuals, uh, uh, alcoholics, um, slanderers, the verbally abusive, swindlers. They will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, but Paul says, and so are many of you. But now you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been redeemed by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So people have been those things. If you were, all of us have our own sin, you must flee from those sins. If you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, that's in first Corinthians chapter six. So self-control leads to meekness because when I'm in, so under self-control, I can exercise to control the strength that I have. And all of us do this to some extent, but losing your temper, being verbally abusive, being sexually perverse being greedy. Those are things that we must walk away from because if, if you're saved, and I certainly hope every pastor here watching this has truly given his life to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the ability to do that. You cannot change yourself in your flesh. You will never will yourself to be a good man harder. In fact, that's one of the biggest problems we've had in the church is people trying really hard to be good until they finally aren't good. And if you're a pastor, that fall can be very loud. So we, ha- we must throw ourselves on the Holy Spirit. We must do that, if you're struggling, by confessing our sins to a brother who we trust, who can walk through with us, and we must run life like an athlete. That being in constant sin, struggling with sin, unrepentant sin is unacceptable in a child of God. We may struggle, but we repent. We do everything we can to follow Him when we move on. We must have self-control in order to be meek. And meekness is one of those things in the past, the holiness that we're gonna to get to in a future um, episode. So why is this so important? One of the things we just don't talk about much in the church today is the fact that we were saved for good works. Ephesians 2.8.9 says that we were saved by grace through faith, and this salvation is not from ourselves. But the next verse, Ephesians 2.10 said, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, every one of us has a mission to accomplish of good works that God gave us at the foundation of time. And he specifically gifted us to be able to carry out that mission. You as a pastor, if you were called to this, to be a pastor, God has specifically gifted you with that nature. I'm not a pastor. I'm more of that prophetic type of, of declaring God's word, but I am not a shepherd. I think that takes a very specific and special man to do that job. And I'm not that kind of man. I'm more one that's here to teach the black and white of scripture. And I hope you can do with this, what you want. And sometimes I'm a little bit direct, too direct to be a pastor. God bless you guys. that can do it with hopefully a lot more grace than sometimes I do it with, but we're specifically designed to carry out a mission that God gave us to do. And we will be judged on how we carried out that mission, not judged for sin, but judged for what did we do with our salvation? And even the last words of scripture in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to each person according to what he has done. Again, we're not being judged on sin. Those were forgiven. Salvation is by grace alone, but what we did with our salvation. And so for each of us, we seek to be the most masculine man we can, how God defines masculinity, not how the world does so that we can carry out our mission with complete efficiency and our mission is a little bit specific and and a little bit more of a burden because we reflect the nature of God, how he says he will be seen, which is through the masculine. Now, I'm not saying women don't also have a special responsibility in the Lord by bearing children and all that, but this is not about femininity, so we're not gonna go there. But I say that because sometimes, especially in this culture of social media, you say one thing and people rush over to the negative on another. I'm only talking about men. We have a special responsibility. To reflect the nature of God, the nature of fathers, the nature of sons, because that is how God has said He will be seen. Okay, so we see, and this is not about reward, so I'm not going to go deeply into that. I brought that up, but you can see that what we do in this life greatly matters, and God will reward with crowns and reign, rulership and reigning those who have carried out their mission in Him. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we will be judged based on what we did in the body, whether good or worthless. Some translations say bad, but the word is actually good or worthless. All of the things of this world that don't matter and all the sins that were forgiven will all be burned up. And what we did that matters will be saved. Each one of us wants to be saved, not not condemned saved, but saved, getting to rule with Christ, getting to get all the rewards we can. Again, you can find this in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter three. Um, we want our lives to matter. If you're a man, one of the basics for your life mattering is being a man, a masculine man, the way God has defined masculinity, not the way the world has. And so we see now that meekness is one of those things that we must have, self-control. But what does God greatly value is courage. And courage is one of those, those things we see that's very valuable in both men and women, but in different ways. And we see that, God greatly values courage. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith um, of the Bible, we have many people in that passage who are screwed up people who obeyed anyway. They obeyed through courage. They overcame the world. And that is what God values is courage. How do we do that? How are we meek and courageous as men? Well, I give you an analogy in the book about when I was a police officer in Los Angeles and I would see somebody get fingerprinted. And sometimes the jailer would just go, uh, crazy because he would be trying to fingerprint somebody and they would keep trying to help him. And in helping him, they keep smudging the fingerprints. The, the person who was fingerprinted the most easily was the one who yielded his hand to the jailer. The jailer would grab each finger, roll it, and his finger would just, hand would be sort of limp. But the person who tried to get in the way by trying to help kept smudging the prints and getting in the way. And this can be a lot of what we do in life. We want to help, but we end up smudging the edges, smudging the prints. How do we, are we both courageous and meek? By yielding to Jesus Christ. Because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're emptied out of self, when we die to self daily, then we're filled with him, his voice. We can hear his words, uh, Romans 1 and two. When we are transformed and not conformed to this world, when our bodies are daily sacrifices, then we can know the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. How do we know God's will? By being transformed and not conformed to the world and by being daily sacrifices, right, to, to the Lord. So by yielding to Him, by hearing His voice, we can both be very courageous and meek at the same time. And what do those things have in common? The strength, the, in, the, in the scope that we're talking, of masculinity. So I've laid a lot on you on this first little thing, but let me lay one last thing on you as I close this out. What do all these things have in common that must be fear of the Lord? what i see is a great lack of fear of the lord in christendom today then i fear the lord one of the main aspects of that is respect for scripture and how many pastors have been trained to explain to their congregations that god's word doesn't say what it says and with fancy arguments and and look at this greek word and twisting and changing that is the very evil of satan satan is the great liar we preach god's word whether it's popular or not popular No matter what we must do, we have to preach God's word. I was talking to a a famous pastor with a massive church, and it was during 2020 during the election. And, um, you know, I asked him about preaching on abortion. And he said to me, well, I I can't preach on abortion. My church would throw me out. Why? Well, it'd be perceived as political, he said. And uh, I said, we're talking about life and death here, uh, Pastor. Well, I know, but gosh, golly, you know, my church and and I said, you know, let me put it this way. If a young woman goes and has an abortion and murders her baby, and she didn't know it was murder because you, her pastor never told her that blood is on your head. And you read Ezekiel when God tells Ezekiel, if you don't tell my words to these people and they go out and screw up because you didn't tell them, I'm going to, I'm going to blame you for it. And the pastor wasn't, you know, like, well, wow, that, that, that's some tough words. I said, well, I, I think that's, those are God's words. You know, that pastor a year later ended up preaching a rousing sermon on abortion, and it went very well, and his church grew while other churches were shrinking in 2021. So I would encourage you, fear the Lord, love God's word, love scripture. I think you may have seen the statistic that more and more, uh, I can't remember the number now, a very large number of pastors no longer have a scriptural worldview. And a scriptural worldview is defined fairly uh, easily, you know, in- inerrancy of the word of God and believing in the Trinity and things like that. They found that the more seminary training someone had, the less likely they were to have a, a worldview that aligned with Scripture. I don't know where you all all pastors are coming from all over the world, but I will tell you this. We have one guide for truth. Only one place we know that the truth of God's Word is, and that is Scripture. If you're aligned with Scripture, you're in truth. If you're not aligned with Scripture, you're not in truth. And I understand... There's some ways to interpret scripture, but mostly there's not. Mostly scripture is pretty clear about what it is. Preach God's word. That's what a man does. Unrepentantly, with grace, with clarity, preach God's word, fear the Lord and teach your congregation to love his word because that's where truth comes from. Laid a lot on you today, we've learned that we want to be men because it has eternal consequences, because there will be rewards for those of us who walk with Christ and fulfilled the mission that he's given us. That we've been told to run race like an athlete in the Isthmian games, that it is a crazy standard for us to try to attain to, yet men did attain to it back in those days, and that will greatly matter for us. And then we've learned that we need to exercise self-control so that we can be meek within a bowl of courage. And then lastly, we get there by fearing the Lord. And the more we fear the Lord, we respect scripture. Then we will be able to to truly run the race to win because the only template we have for truth is the Bible. Thank you, guys, and I'll see you in the next episode.